0: Well, hey, good morning, church. Uh, It's good to be back with you all. If we haven't met, my name is Joe. I live in Orlando. I do a few different things, and one of the things I do is I do some counseling there. And I actually want to talk about this morning um, uh, what is arguably the most pervasive, ubiquitous uh, mental health struggle in our society and in our day, and it's one that uh, Jesus actually talked about 2,000 years ago. So uh, let me read this passage for us. He talked about it in Matthew chapter 6 in the middle of his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. This is Matthew six twenty-five to 34. Give your attention to God's word this morning. Therefore, I tell you, Jesus said, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own, and boy, does it. Let's pray together. God, uh, I pray that you would forgive the preacher his many faults, and Lord, that the only words that would be remembered this morning are words guided by your Spirit. Would you speak to us powerfully in a way that transforms us? In Jesus' name, amen. There's a psychologist named Robert Leahy. Robert Leahy says that, and this is startling, uh, but he says that the average American child today exhibits the same level of anxiety as the average psychiatric patient of the 1950s. He says, we live, this is quote, we live in an age of anxiety, the age of anxiety, which also happens to be my favorite song of the last year uh, from a band called Arcade Fire. And in it, the lyrics go, it's a maze of mirrors. It's a hologram and a ghost, hologram of a ghost, and you can't quite touch it which is how it hurts us the most. So we keep it all inside and hide it deep in a drawer. Say your prayers tonight. Someone finds it after the war. In other words, for many of us, uh, anxiety is like the water that we swim in. It's so pervasive, yet it's kind of beneath the surface. We now kind of take it for granted. We, so therefore, we don't always notice it. Now, some of you, you notice it. <laughs> you know, you feel it, and it's right there. But we, living in the age of anxiety, for many of us, it's just there. It's affecting how we lead. It's affecting how we follow. It's affecting how we make decisions. It's kind of there underneath the surface, even if we don't acknowledge it. But it's there, anxiety. Now, what is anxiety? Well, it, to put it really simply, I mean, you can Google search and come up with some, you know, you'll read some great stuff. The American Psych- Psychiatric Association will have some helpful definitions for you. Anxiety, put most simply, is it's, it's anticipation of a future concern, or even more simply, worry. Now, everybody worries, right? Some of you worry a little. Some of you worry a lot. Some of you are award-winning worriers. Uh, And nice to meet you. I am the president of that club. Uh, I know worry. Worry and I go way back. Old, old friends, I'm sad to say. So you're like, well, Joe, what, you know... What credentials do you have then to talk on this subject today? (laughs) Great, fair question. Uh, Which is why um, I can't stand up here and just tell you not to worry. So I'll let somebody else do that. And actually, in this passage, you notice how many times he did that. Three or four times. Jesus says, do not worry. It's one of the most gracious commandments in the Bible. Do not worry. Do not worry. So how do we follow that command? Well, we got to have a little bit of a perspective on Jesus' teaching on it. And so this morning, here's what I want to do. I want to give you a couple of metaphors for anxiety that we find in this passage, and then I want to give us a little bit of a way forward, a step forward that we can take towards healing and freedom in it. Just a step because it's just a sermon, right? This can be an unfolding thing in your life. Let's look at uh, the first metaphor together metaphor one anxiety anxiety is kind of like a broken time machine anxiety is like a broken time machine what do i mean well in verse 34 jesus says do not be anxious for tomorrow or do not worry about tomorrow other translations for tomorrow will be anxious for itself tomorrow has worries of its own anxiety is often future oriented right? It is thoughts of a potential future concern, something that could happen at some point in the future. So when we are anxious, our thoughts, it's like they're transported to a future time and what might go on in that time. But life is still here in this moment, right? So it's like kind of like a time machine, but only part of you goes there, The other part of you is still here and so you kind of become divided and it's a double bind because while you are obsessively worrying about future concerns in an effort to try and affect a change in the future, which you cannot, you are also then missing out on right now. You're missing out on the present and the present is the only time you get to live You only get to live today. You only get to live the now. And when anxiety pulls us into a future, we're missing out on actually living, which is happening right now. Charles Spurgeon said, our anxiety does not empty tomorrow of its sorrows, but only empties today of its strengths. So Jesus is so gracious here. He doesn't want us to go through life missing life. I'll give you an example of this. Not too long ago, um, I was sitting, I remember sitting with a client and this person was telling me about some really hard things in his life. And I realized a few minutes in, oh, I've been somewhere else. I've not been really paying attention because I had a doctor's appointment later that week and test results were going to be coming back on something. And my mind is there, and I was anxious. Meanwhile, I'm living in this moment with another human being who is sharing part of their life and story with me, and I'm missing it because I've been, part of me has been transported somewhere else. See, our anxiety doesn't just affect us, it affects other people, because it doesn't just rob us of living in this moment, it robs others of us being with them in these moments, in the ways that God has called us to be with them, to love and support and care. So it's it's a broken time machine, divides us. Part of us goes somewhere to a place that we wish we could control, but we can't. And then we miss right here and now. And Jesus doesn't want that for us. Second metaphor for anxiety. Metaphor two, related to metaphor one. It, metaphor two is anxiety is like a clever illusion. It's like a magic trick. And we kind of, even though we know how the magic trick works, we kind of continue to buy it. Uh, we continue to kind of get hooked by it. Look at what he says, Jesus says in verse 27. He's incredibly practical. He says, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? Now, the only reason Jesus would say something like this to us is because that's actually what we believe. In some kind of crazy mind game that we play with ourselves, we believe that by obsessively worrying over something, we actually can maybe affect a change in that unknown future. And Jesus is saying, you know, hey, hate to break it to you. You're not really in control of very many molecules in this present moment, (laughs) let alone a future moment you by worrying you cannot move the position of a single molecule at some point in the future you do not have that level of control but that's the trick anxiety convinces us that we have some sort of control we feel out of control and so by our obsessive worrying we convince ourselves that maybe we can regain some of it. David Pallison, Christian author and counselor, writes, the illusion of control lurks inside your anxiety. Makes us think that we can gain control over the uncontrollable by obsessively thinking and worrying. I mean, if I asked you, hey, what's causing anxiety in your life? What's causing anxiety in your life? you would likely point to some external things in your life. You'd say, this sick child or this uh, school uh, situation I'm in or this family uh, uh, circumstance or this work uh, issue. And it traps us when we do that because we end up basically, what ends up happening is when we believe that it's actually something external and not internal, we then get in the cycle of going, well, if I could just change these circumstances, and maybe the, way, maybe the way to change these circumstances will be to continually mull over them, think over them, obsess over them to change them, and it basically just puts us back to square one. It's actually in me. It's not the circumstance. It's what I'm doing with the circumstances. See, it's actually not an external problem, it's an internal one. When Jesus says that the birds, he says, look at the birds, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Notice, Jesus doesn't say the birds don't work, you know? Birds work. They still have external circumstances to deal with. They have to hunt. They have to, you know, they build things, right? I don't know what birds do, but they do things like in that day, birds do things. And Jesus isn't saying that birds don't do things. Jesus is actually making a joke, This should be funny to us. He's saying, imagine a bird who has a barn, right? Ha ha, it's funny. Like the bird has a barn and he stores up all of his food in there so that the future feels more in control. Jesus' point he's making is not that external circumstances, that's the issue or that we don't work and we don't have to do things throughout the day. His point is, be like a bird, Stop thinking you can control the future. Stop believing that you can somehow control your future and surrender it. But work at things today because it's not your external circumstances, your obligations. The problem is internal. It's our need to know the future. It's our discomfort about our lack of control with the future, which goes all the way back to the beginning of humanity, doesn't it? you know, when those first two, they were living in a relationship with God. Who was God to them? God was their king. God was the one in control. And the way to live in peace with him was to surrender to his lordship, his control. But instead they said, hey, you know what? Let's take control. And they tried to usurp that authority. Say, hey, we'll actually figure this out ourselves. Because that fruit, look, I know you said this, God, and I know you're God, but I'm just looking at a nice piece of fruit. Like, this makes more sense to me. I'm going to take control of my destiny. And we've kind of been doing that ever since. Grasping for God-like control, but then only to realize we'll never have it. And Jesus graciously reminds us it's an illusion. It's an illusion. You're not going to gain control over the uncontrollable. Certainly not by worrying about it. Now, so for some of you, here's just a little action step that, you know, if you're somebody who's dealing with anxiety, there are many things that I would encourage you to do, and they're beyond the scope of just listening to one sermon this morning. But, you know, there are some behavioral techniques that that can be helpful that you know really simple but I, I there's one that I think about all the time I imagine when I realize like okay I'm in a bit of an anxious state and I am I am worrying over something I imagine that all of those worrisome thoughts they're like piling up in a bucket that I'm carrying and then I imagine I visualize myself dumping them out of that bucket knowing that, hey, carrying all of these in this bucket is not going to get me anywhere faster. It's not going to get me anywhere better. All it's doing is weighing me down. I visualize turning it over and dumping it out. I actually have a little name for this bucket that I can't say in this sermon. You could probably figure it out. Um, Now, that's one exercise kind of, you know, within the kind of uh, category of thought stopping, it is really important. We get These get out of control, and we need to have practices that kind of bring us back into a moment of going, I need to surrender these. These aren't helpful, right? But Jesus knows it's not just enough to have these thoughts cease. He gives us a replacement, gives us a replacement for some of these thoughts. And so that's the third thing, kind of third guidepost in our time this morning, a step that we can take a step that we we can begin to take towards healing and freedom. Look at Jesus' command in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. If part of the cause of our anxiety is that grasping for God-like control, because it comes from a big view of self, big view of self. No, no, I should be in charge around here. I know what's best. Then part of the solution to our problem with anxiety is a big view of God. It's a big view of God. It's, you know, what I'm carrying in my bucket, all these thoughts, all these worries, they all point back to, I need to carry all of these things, and this is all on me. And as I dump that out, that space then needs to be filled with he holds it all. He holds it all. I'm not minimizing the many tools, the many tools in the hands of God to bring healing and bring restoration and bring freedom to your life. Tools like therapy, tools like uh, um, Psychotropic medications, when necessary, um, you know, pastoral counseling, friends and family gathered around you. You know, in the height of in the height of my season of anxiety, I was I was in therapy every week. I was on psychotropic medication, and every night I was reading and memorizing Psalm sixteen because I needed to be reminded of the bigness of my God. That I feel overshadowed in my life and I need to be reminded that there is one who overshadows that which is overshadowing me. Notice there are three things Jesus teaches us about a big view of God that we need to have in this passage. And we need to remind ourselves of these in our worry. Number one, we need a big view of God's power. Big view of God's power. Seek first the kingdom of God. Kingdom, he's a king. He's a king. Sounds simple, but be reminded, he runs the world. You know, here we are in this middle school. Uh, Beyonce, right, apparently has told us who runs the world, girls. And while I appreciate what she's kind of, where she's heading with that sentiment, and I understand what she's trying to say there, Jesus actually runs it. He's the king. Always has been, always will be. And even in this very moment right now, regardless of what you're going through, been through, will be through, there is no maverick molecule. He is the king. He is in control. And he holds all things. Martin Luther, one of the leaders of the Protestant Reformation, once said to his friend Philip, Philip was struggling with anxiety right? And Martin Luther said to him, let Philip cease to rule the world. Let Philip cease to rule the world. That's Christianity. You are free from the burden of ruling and reigning over the world and even your own life. There's a new king on the throne of your heart and life. His name is King Jesus, and we need to see that he is big, That he is powerful. But Jesus knew we needed more than just a reminder that God is powerful, the bigness of God and his power. But two, we need a big view of God's purpose, a big view of God's purpose for your life. You know, so anxiety takes you out of the present moment, right, which then hinders your ability to actually love others. But the reverse is also true. As you expend energy in moving towards the benefit of others and the love of others, it actually can reduce anxiety in your life. Notice the text nowhere says that we shouldn't be concerned with whether others will have enough to eat or whether others will have something to wear. Jesus' whole ministry teaches the opposite. We are commanded to take our eyes off of ourselves and to put them on others seek their well-being. I mean, seek first the kingdom. What is seeking the kingdom? The glory of God and the benefit of others. But it's outside of me. Part of the cure for anxiety in your life is a concern for others' lives. Or to put it another way, (laughs) anxiety in your life lessens as anxiety for others grows, which outside of a few exceptions, is not anxiety, it's compassion. It's care, it's concern. As you step into the purpose of God for your life, which is in part laying down your life for the sake of others, you loosen the grip of your life on your life. So big view of his power, his plan, big view of his plan for your life, and then there's a third thing, a big view of God's love. A big view of God's love. Twice in the passage, brief passage, Jesus refers to God as what? As a father. As a father. Your heavenly father knows all that you need. In your battle with anxiety, it is important to be reminded again and again that God is your father. And whatever you've been through, whatever you will go through, and whatever you are going through, he holds you and he loves you. And he loves you. You know, it's interesting. ever notice this? The Bible tells us that there's one thing that it is okay and actually right to fear. There's only one thing the Bible says it's okay to fear. God. Fear God. And yet, whenever God shows up, and encounters people in the Bible, either through an angel, some other manifestation. What is like one of the first things that is said by that angel or that manifestation? Do not fear. Now, why why does he need to say that? Because you're encountering just the sheer majesty and glory and beauty of the king of heaven and earth, terrifying, right? And so he has to reassure us, you need not fear. So just to recap, the only thing the Bible says it's okay for you to fear is the very one who tells you not to. Jesus says later, he says, in Matthew, I believe, he says, don't fear those who can destroy the body. Fear the one who can destroy body and soul. God, and yet, and yet... For those who are in Christ and are his children, the only one who can destroy you says, I will always love you. So, do not worry. I was taking my oldest son to school when he was in first grade.
1: I'm in the van,
0: you know, minivan season, right? Ugh. And um, I'm driving him to school. He's in the car seat in the back. And I just had this, like, moment. I was like, you know, I'm going to have just a significant father-son moment with my, my son right now. It's just t- my son and me in the car. And so here was my plan. I kind of put all this together in my head. I was like, I'm going to ask him, Taylor, what's one thing you can always know is true about your dad? And then he's going to guess a bunch of different things, maybe some of them serious, maybe some of them silly, you know. And I'm going to say, well, that's true, but that's not it. That's true, but that's not it. And then I'm finally going to drop the hammer and say, you know, Taylor, the one thing you can always know is true about your dad is that he will always love you. Aw, so good plan, right? And, uh, and so I, I got it all kind of packaged up in my head, and I'm driving. And I'm like, hey, Taylor, what's the one thing that you can always know is true about your dad? And he goes, that you'll always love me. <laughs> he just nails it, just like without even thinking about it. And I'm like, whoa. You know, so I'm taking aback, back, and as I'm kind of regrouping a little bit, uh, he goes, hey, Dad, what's the one thing you can always know is true about me? This is a first grader, okay? And I start guessing some stuff, like, do you like baseball Yeah, but that's not it. That uh, you like uh, playing Mario Kart. I do, but that's not it. And I finally said that you love me. And he goes, I do, but that's not it. (laughs) He goes, the one thing you can always know is true about me is that I will always know that you love me. And I thought... Well, my first thought was like, how did he even do that logic at this age? That's... And then my second thought was, you know, so far, you know, uh, I had this grand plan for him, and God's like, eh, actually, I'm going to do something for you. This is, <laughs> um, That's a big view of a father's love. And as a father, do you want anything more than that? Than the, the confidence in your child that you love them? And God wants you to have that. He wants us to have that. He wants us to remain in that place of confidence in His love. You know, psychologists talk about, you know, when a child is afraid, their sympathetic nervous system kicks in, right? Blood leaves the brain. It rushes to the heart. They grow pale. But when that same child is in the presence of their comforter, the parasympathetic nervous system kicks in. Heartbeat slows, breath deepens, blood returns to the brain. They relax. You know, biologically, First John four eight: Perfect love casts out fear. Biologically, is true. You can't. You can't experience both fear and love at the same time. Perfect love came down to this world to cast out fear. I mean, it's no coincidence that every time God shows up, He said, do not fear. And so perfect love comes to this world. And when He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray through what He's about to endure and He sweats blood, why is that? All of your anxiety flooding Him. He takes it and then on the cross he takes the death that we invited in by trying to usurp control in the first place and he takes it and he does it for you because that's how much the father loves you because perfect love came to this world to cast out your fear so go to him with your fear go to him with your worry and your anxiety and know that he knows he knows what you need You know what you need? Him. Him. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need your love and our scrambling internally and externally to try and make sense of this difficult life and to try and control and to try and find peace of our own making. What are we really scrambling for? It is you. We need you. We need to sit in your presence. We need to let you love us. We need to let you care for us. We need that parasympathetic experience of being with our comforter who reminds us it is all going to be okay. There will be a day of no more tears and no more death. And you will reign with me. Lord, speak to our hearts this morning that comfort. I pray for anybody here who is battling this particular mental health issue. And I pray that you would use all manner, all variety of uh, forms of your providence to care for them. Lord, it's not just a sermon that you have ordained that would help. It is your body who you have put into place to help. And so may they surround themselves with those who can walk with them in this. And by your Spirit, would you do a powerful work in them and bring healing and freedom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.